0: this is a 980 cknw podcast
1: you are live with get connected mike agarbo here in studio today we have lots of interesting things to chat about in the program later on we'll be talking about blockchain technology the underlying foundation of cryptocurrencies like uh, bitcoin uh, and how the marijuana industry might uh, use it uh, as marijuana becomes legalized here in canada later this year we'll uh Also, uh, of course, uh, be uh, talking about the latest tech news. I've got Graham Williams uh, in here with me today. Thanks for joining me, Graham. Always happy to be here. Uh, So some crazy stuff uh, this week here. Before we get to some of the other stories, uh, huge vulnerability uh, announced by Intel uh, regarding their chips, not only Intel but ARM processors as well that affect pretty well every. Uh, computing device on the planet. Even Apple has announced that all of their devices are affected by this. Uh, Two code names for it, uh, Spectre and Meltdown. Uh, And you could be exposed to having your, your data hacked.
2: Yeah. So basically, if you own a computing device right now, whether it is powered by Intel, uh, whether it's powered by ARM and even some AMD processors, you are going to be affected by one of two of these vulnerabilities. And they are two very different vulnerabilities. The first one is called Meltdown. I've got to say, I love the names for these things. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I miss Heartbleed. You remember Heartbleed? Yeah. As I go to Meltdown, is, it's very much because the industry is having an absolute meltdown right now. There's never happy flowers or <laughs> sunshine. This has been around for 10 years. And it's an interesting one because it breaks the isolation between user applications, so the stuff that you run, and your operating system. And basically lets information leak back and forth between the two. And the reason that that's bad is because your operating system is the place typically where your secure data is going, right? And this is going to be things like your passwords, so when Meltdown gets in between these things, it can intercept this data and send it off to uh, you know, people that you don't want to have it, or it can use it in malicious ways, something called a privilege escalation. So on your computer, you're a, you're a user, and when you use your password to do things, you can be a super user. Well, this can let ordinary applications that shouldn't have the right to do things on your computer do things that they shouldn't do. Everything from uh, changing your passwords to locking you out with uh, cryptographic software. This one's a, a pretty big deal right? Like it, being able to insert yourself in between the user layer and the operating system layer and get that stuff. That's a really big deal. And there are software patches for this. So Linux, uh, Mac OS and, um, and Windows. Windows are all being patched. Mac OS actually was already patched in advance. So if you have the latest version of Mac OS or iOS, you are protected. Did against... Apple already know about this? Uh, yes. So this, was, this is one of those things that was actually reported correctly. To everyone. And so uh, companies have known about this in advance. We're learning about this now because this is actually good security practices. You learn about it as patches are being rolled out. Unfortunately, the second that you start to roll patches out, we've got to tell people about it. So the the secret there is that you don't want the bad guys knowing that there is an exploit because this exploit was actually found by security researchers um, and there are not... At Google? At Google. And there are yeah. not many security uh, uh, flaws. There are not many exploits out there in the wild for this right now. But... The problem with this is these uh, these fixes basically have to reroute the way that memory is treated. So instead of it being close onto the onto the processor and the operating system, it's now being rerouted, sort of down the block and back again.
1: Is I this going to slow things down?
2: It's going to slow things down. Now, if you're an end user, probably not. So uh, we're actually seeing with the latest patches, it's not slowing things down that much for end users. There will be some slowdown. Um, you know, people are saying between uh, you know five and ten percent, which. I mean, if my car went 5 and 10% slower, I'd be pretty ticked off right now. I feel like I've been sold a bill of goods. Uh, the real problem is in enterprise applications. And I've got a lot of friends in enterprise. So big
1: companies and big computing.
2: Big companies, Amazon Web Services, all of the stuff, the backbone of the internet, uh, the things that you know our computers connect to, to do things online. And I've had some friends this week who have been absolutely uh, just freaking right out, if I can use the term. Um, we're going to go through a lot of bottles of scotch this weekend because uh, we saw with some applications up to a 70% performance decrease. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So something, that, you know, a process, like a, key, a key gen process that usually would take around 14 seconds was taking 25 seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're repeating those processes hundreds of thousands of times over day after day after day, the, the that lag on this, this builds up. Yeah. And, you know, I've been told by a number of people, you know, they're, they're, placing frantic orders for new blade servers because they need to basically spin up capacity that they didn't have before. So this is a big deal. Um, so that's meltdown. Uh, Spectre is unfortunately. Oh, that's Okay. That's just one of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's just one of them. Spectre is even worse. Okay. Uh, because Spectre actually gets in between uh, protected layers between programs, even programs that follow sort of best practices for security. And sometimes following those best practices um, actually makes it worse. So this is one thing that has to be uh has to be patched on a on a, a program by program basis. This one, Meltdown will be dealing with for the next little while. Spectre, we're going to be dealing with the specter of it uh for years to come. This is this is a big deal. So again,
1: this affects everyone. Uh whether you have an iPhone, an iPad, a Google Android phone or tablet, a Windows machine, a Mac. Uh, All of these machines are affected. So, you know, as we've always been telling you in our program, it's important to update your computer or your device with all the latest uh, security fixes uh, and updates. Apple says that if you do update to the latest uh, operating systems on any of their devices, uh, apparently the only one not affected is the Apple Watch, (laughs) Uh, you will be apparently okay. Uh, Google says uh, that, again, if you've updated to the latest uh, Google Android operating system, Or security patches, uh, you will be fixed. Microsoft has already rolled out patches uh, for Windows. They are recommending, however, if if you do have third party antivirus or security software programs, you update those first before you update the operating system. So, you know, check with the type of machine you have or operating system you have on whatever device. Uh, You can go to the company's websites and just, you know, see what they recommend as far as getting those things updated.
2: Yeah. So it's going to be a big deal. Keep an eye on your security updates for the next little while. Actually, you know what? For the rest of your life. This is, it's, it's not a joke. <laughs> the rest of your life. You need to be keeping on top of security updates uh... no matter what, whether it's Meltdown, whether it's Heartbleed, whether it's Spectre. Uh, I, I know a lot of people who will say, well, you know, I don't update my phone because it slows it down. Um, that's typically not the case. And look at it this way. Uh, a phone that's slightly slower versus a phone where your passwords and your banking information are being leaked I'll let you make that call, but I think the common sense approach is stay up to date. Also in the news, uh, this has uh, been
1: uh, reported by Mashable. Apple Music's Jimmy Iovine, Iovine will uh, reportedly leave the company. This is the uh, big music mogul that it's uh, basically uh, taken over Apple Music uh, when Apple bought Beats headsets from uh, him and Dr. Dre in a $3 billion deal, I believe. And uh, Jimmy here has really helped Apple Music grow. I think they have over 30 million paid subscribers to the Apple Music subscription service.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is a great move by Apple because they obviously had this Trojan horse of Apple Music where, you know, they've got the music app on everyone's iPhone. Yes. Um, They even have Apple Music for Android. So if if you've got a Mac, but you're in the Android ecosystem for your mobile devices, you can get Apple Music. And, you know, there was, uh, there was a lot of talk when Apple Music launched that it was going to fail, it would never catch on, it was the next Zune, uh, and of course Apple does what Apple does, which is just barrel on despite the criticisms, and they end up with 30 million paid subscribers rocketing past a number of their competitors. Um, it's not the number one on the market.
1: Spotify is they've announced that they've hit 70 million, which is amazing.
2: Yeah. And I mean, here's the funny thing is like a lot of us have both Apple music and Spotify for different reasons. And I'm paying, you know, basically 30 bucks a month so that I can have Apple music and Spotify shared between me and some close friends and family. Um, and you know, you know, we, we've talked about this before. You used to spend 30 bucks on a CD every couple of weeks. Well, now I've got pretty much every song in existence whenever I want it for $30 a month. I'm paying less for music and getting more. So it's a, it's a, decent service. Jimmy Iovine leaving. Um, I wouldn't say it's too much concern for Apple because the guy did what he set out to do, right? He turned Apple music into an absolute juggernaut. And if I was him, I'd take the money and run and go do something cool and new. Cause you know, he's going to go do something cool and new. He's going to have a bit of money. His
1: stocks fast later this year. And that's uh, apparently when he is going to be exiting Apple. I guess I think he'll still have some type of uh, role there, but it'll be interesting to see what he does next. We have lots more to talk about on Get Connected today. Uh, On the next segment, it's all about marijuana and blockchain technology. Marijuana being legalized here in Canada later this year. How will that all unfold from a business and uh, commerce uh, perspective? Well, blockchain technology, same type of technology behind Bitcoin, might have a play in that. So we're going to find out how that's all going to potentially work. Later on in the program, we'll also hear about Sugar Wireless, a little scrappy startup uh, from up north that's uh, trying to take on the big telecoms by using Wi Fi networks and roaming on Rogers at a fraction of the price. Will the CRTC allow them to continue? We'll find out later in the program. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Still lots to talk about on today's program, so stay tuned. On the line right now, I want to talk about marijuana and blockchain technology. Blockchain, uh, you might have heard from uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. That's kind of the underlying foundation of how it all works. Well, that same technology can be used for other purposes as well, and uh, the marijuana industry is looking to do that uh, too. Thanks for joining us, Alex.
3: Hi, it's great to be here, Mike.
1: So, marijuana and blockchain technology, who knew? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh exp- explain to the listeners you know fundamentally you know in a simple term how blockchain works
3: sure well it's basically a digital spreadsheet um that requires a lot of mathematics and cryptography um uh, and basically it allows transactions to take place between one party and another uh and now the reason a lot of people, including, uh, people in the marijuana industry are gravitating towards this so much is because, um, blockchain is very secure theoretically. So, uh, very important data and obviously in the marijuana industry, uh, from growers to distributors, there's a lot of valuable and important information that, uh, has to be secured. Uh, so blockchain allows people to do that. Uh, so essentially, um, a blockchain transaction begins with one party just sending another party uh, data, and um, basically through that. Um, th- so this could be deeds or records or anything like that. Um, and then basically the transaction is um, broadcasted from a uh, uh, through a peer-to-peer network uh, through a computers, um, and like I said, through algorithms and mathematics that that set of information that is uh, being sent from one computer to another is then permanently inscribed um, on the blockchain, which means, like I said, theoretically, it can't be altered, it can't be hacked, um, and it's permanent. So it's uh, uh, when it comes to transparency, it's, it's very key for businesses looking to um, keep information secure.
1: And you've been researching the whole marijuana side, uh, obviously becoming legalized here in Canada. Uh, and who knows how that's all going to work? How 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 have the uh, marijuana marijuana industry players uh, looked at taking advantage of this?
3: Well, at the moment, it seems like it's certainly not on many people's radar. or At least it's not on many governments' radar and radars. And it, um, in BC, uh, IBM, uh, the company IBM, did present the government of BC a uh, report that sort of. Outline the benefits of blockchain and basically just presented them a brief report about um, the benefits of blockchain, how it can be used. Basically, just kind of reiterating some of the stuff I, I've been saying here. And it's not known at this point whether BC is going to follow up on that or implement that in any way. Uh, but right now, that appears to be the only sort of example where blockchain um, has kind of surfaced in Canada, in Ontario. Uh, Obviously, the LCBO is going to play a huge factor in the distribution of marijuana. How exactly that's going to shake out is not uh, entirely known yet, Um, in terms of what kind of technology they're going to be using. um, uh, I am keeping, actually, tabs on that, so we're hoping to kind of have more news on that front uh, in the near future. But um, in terms of blockchain specifically, uh, that's kind of where it ends in terms of that one report that was presented to, to BC.
1: You did a little research on a company out of California, Budbo. Tell us about that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're trying to... They've been around for a little while now, and their their app um, basically allows people to um, swipe through thousands of marijuana products and dispensaries and um, basically just gives people a very quick glance at what's nearby, what are some of the products that they can access, and now it seems like they're trying to enhance that, uh, that, that software to enable um, to kind of take on a more business-oriented um, uh, identity and introduce blockchain technology and these tokens, which will enable, um, which is a, will be a form of cryptocurrency, which will enable people using the app to tap into some of those uh, more business-oriented features of the Budbo app. So uh, tracking, tracking, Uh, tracking where their product is going, where it's coming from, um, where it's being sold to, and these tokens um, they're hoping to. uh, And it's not entirely clear how they're going to sort of... Enforce this, or or kind of get people to jump on board. Um, but they're hoping that these tokens, that people will buy into these tokens, um, which will enable them to access some of those functions of the of the app. So it's oh, it's, it's it's kind of interesting, but some questions certainly do remain. Um, and now on top of that, the uh, kind of uh, the, the news coming out of the United States about uh, um, the uh, shift. Uh, Jeff Sessions, um, uh, kind of new regula- regulations around pot, which kind of uh, adds more power to uh, the federal government and, and how they actually um, uh, prosecute, um, uh, how they kind of roll out new rules around marijuana. So there's kind of a, a, a shift in direction there uh, that might, I don't know, have a negative effect on, on how this new technology rolls out in the U.S., but, uh, but we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I'm interested because you know, we're seeing all these – and I guess the underlying thing with this blockchain technology, especially for anything to do with commerce, is you've got to have some type of currency. Uh, you know, we're seeing all sorts of cryptocurrencies uh, uh, rise. And you know, obviously here in the marijuana side, uh, already with this Budbo company, there's uh, also another one uh, in your article, CannaBlocks. Uh, you know, are we in danger of having like, dozens if not hundreds of different types of cryptocurrencies? Like, how do we uh, keep on top of that? Is there any regulation?
3: You're right, there's there's tons of them out now, and there are likely to be even more, um, and I think that's just sort of the natural state of mm-hmm. of new technology and somewhat experimental technology, that, that's just kind of the thing that happens when uh, things like this are tapped into, um, and I think uh, when it comes to sort of being prepared and, and ensuring that we're on top of things, um, I think blockchain is a, is a big part of that because it does have the potential to um, enable to, to kind of deliver that security. And um, it's, it's already, like I mentioned, it's being used in many industries already, um, banks, governments, um, other tech entrepreneurs. So I think once that once the actual blockchain technology is kind of um, once it evolves and is really kind of when people have a great good a better grasp of it, um, I think that's when you're going to see sort of a much more legitimized um, view and and kind of have your, that's when you're going to see people really embrace um, cryptocurrency and blockchain as a whole. Uh, but you're right; right now it's kind of um, all over the place, but uh, I think slowly but surely we will get to the point where um, it is embraced.
1: We're talking with Alex Koop from ITBusiness.ca, fantastic uh, website for all your uh, tech business, business news. I want to thank you for joining us, Alex.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me. When we come back from
1: the break, we're going to be looking uh, at the red-hot real estate markets in Vancouver and Toronto and how technology is helping keep track of that. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, still more tech to talk uh, on today's uh, program. I want to talk about a, uh, a wireless service, a telecom uh, that's trying to compete with the uh, the big carriers out there, but uh, without laying down the infrastructure, Sugar Mobile. They are basically relying on people's home networks and then roaming uh, agreements uh, with uh, Rogers. They've been kind of shut down by the CRTC this year, but uh, they're hoping to get a new ruling on that coming up in March On the line, we've uh, got our friend uh, Rose Bahar from Mobile Syrup, a a great website for all your mobile news and smartphone needs. Thanks for joining us, Rose.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
1: wanted to talk about uh, one of uh, the startup uh, carriers, kind of a unique one uh, that's uh, in the news again, Sugar Mobile. Explain to the listeners what Sugar Mobile was all about.
4: So Sugar Mobile has always been kind of a scrappy presence in the Canadian telecom market. It used a backdoor trick to become one of the very few wireless resellers in Canada by using Rogers Roaming Network for wireless coverage for its customers while relying primarily on a Wi-Fi-based solution for its main network. So its argument is that its Wi-Fi network is its home network. And using the Rogers Roaming Network anything off of Wi-Fi is roaming. Of course, Rogers wasn't very happy with that. And after uh, a, a sort of hustle and uh, request the CRTC, in March 2017, the CRTC decided that this approach couldn't stand. But in an unusual twist, the Minister of Innovation later in June ordered Canada's telecom regulator to rethink that decision. So Sugar Mobile is still hanging on, and right now it's come out with a blog post that's promising more data, guaranteed lowest prices in Canada, and continuous improvements in 2018. Though it's still pretty unclear whether the Telecom Commission will uphold its decision um, sort of banning the use of of Sugar Mobile or not. Uh, They're due to come out with a decision on that in March this year.
1: That'd be interesting because that could open up the floodgate to a whole bunch of other, one, you know, of these little scrappy carriers.
4: Absolutely. If the decision is overturned or changed in any way, uh, basically if it's decided that Wi-Fi networks can be included under the definition of a home network, then that could change everything for wireless reselling in Canada. It would be a major difference.
1: But to make this thing work, they have to be able to roam on like a Rogers or one of the other big carriers.
4: Absolutely. And that's not going to happen unless the CRTC mandates that uh, a wireless, a Wi-Fi based network or a Wi-Fi first network does count as a home network. Um, as it stands now, that's not how it looks. And so, of course, Rogers, Bell and Telus wouldn't uh, agree to that sort of plan, Um And that's why there are very few uh, wireless resellers in Canada as it stands right now.
1: So kind of interesting. So when they say it's a Wi-Fi first network, like what infrastructure are they really putting up there? They're just relying on your home network and other Wi-Fi hotspots for their phones to work.
4: Well, that's the thing. I mean, they don't have really physical infrastructure. And what the um, CEO, uh, the founder of Sugar Mobile, Samar Bishay, argues is that um, software uh, software services and software as a network should be considered in the future of, of wireless as um, legitimate infrastructure. It still does take building, but it's just not
3: physical building.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, do you think that's fair to companies like Rogers? Like these guys can just rely on your, you know... Their customers' home networks to be identified as a, a network, and then Rogers has got to bear the brunt of that because Rogers has to pay for all those infrastructure costs.
4: And that's the major question at hand. Rogers, Telus, and Bell—they all argue that um, that it's not fair to them to to put out that sort of. Um, investment into their actual physical infrastructure and they also argue that there will be less reason for them to invest in their physical infrastructure if something like this decision is made in favor of wi-fi first networks
1: what's your what's your gut tell you
4: my gut tells me what we're likely to see is that i don't believe uh the crtc will sort of overturn its decision but I think it is an interesting step forward in at least considering a new way to have more wireless resellers in Canada. And perhaps in the future, um, there will be a decision that, that mandates some some aspect of it so that that Bell, Rogers and Telus um, are compelled to actually sell or resell their, their wireless through wireless resellers. Because there's a lot more of those in the U.S. And that is a kind of a bigger market force, but as it stands in Canada, um, Rogers, Bell, and Telus aren't compelled to to have to um, sell their their wireless network usage. So, I think that probably will come at some point in the future, but I don't think it will be through this decision.
1: Talking with Rose Bahar from Mobile Syrup, all about uh, sugar wireless, uh, kind of a, a scrappy uh, telecom startup. We'll see uh, if they can make it uh, this year. Thanks for joining us, Rose. Thank you very much. When we come back, more tech to talk on here on Get Connected. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We still have lots more to talk about on today's program, including our app of the week with Christina in a little while. I want to talk about the real estate industry now and how technology is helping uh, disrupt parts of that. And I think it does need a little disrupting. On the line, we have Mandy Kovacs from IT World Canada. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I uh, wanted to chat about an article uh, you did in itbusiness.ca about uh, a, real-time, a real-time sales solution that is disrupting uh, the real estate industry, uh, something called Sailfish. Uh, explain to the listeners what it is and what it's disrupting.
0: Right, yeah. So the, the both the program and the company are called Sailfish. Uh, and it's really a web-based sales solution for uh, everyone from developers, builders, uh, and even real estate sales agents um and it so how it works it's a platform and it basically virtualizes the the sales um of new homes because i mean generally how you buy them is that it's either by lot or um by house design and so you either choose a design that you like and then you find a lot that fits it or you choose a lot that you really want and you buy a house based on whether it fits or not um but of course that creates a lot of confusion especially when it's on paper um and not digitized, because every time it's updated, that affects uh, what another person will buy. So this digitizes it all, it's updated in real time, uh, so everyone can get what they want, essentially.
1: And why does it affect what other people buy?
0: Right, so based on the architectural guidelines uh, in Ontario, and I think other provinces have uh, very similar things, is you can't actually have uh, two houses of the same design beside each other or across from each other on the street. Um, these guidelines came into effect over the last several years because um, a lot of, sorry, the government wants neighborhoods with uh, visually diverse uh, landscapes, I guess. So you can't have the same external design uh, beside each other because that just looks too similar, right? I think we're really trying to avoid the the 60s and 70s look where every house is the exact same color, the exact same shape, uh, the exact same design. So there needs to be some sort of diversity. So this program... Um, will update in real time so that if you choose a specific design, it'll make a note that the, the lot beside it cannot be of that same design.
1: And how were they keeping track of this before?
0: Uh, this was all either on paper or like Excel sheets that, um, <laughs> for example, one sales yeah one sales office would have this. And once they made a sale, they would have to update their Excel sheet and then send it to everyone else. But, of course, if they didn't quite do that on time, then you potentially had another salesperson either in the same office or a different office um, selling someone a home that they actually are not allowed to put there. Um, So you can see that that would create a lot of confusion. So this is really trying to cut down on that.
1: That could be chaos, though, like paper and Excel spreadsheets.
0: Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And to an extent, this also applies to condos and uh, like high rises. Um, to a less extent, though, because obviously you don't quite have uh, an external design to deal with on that end, but um, you need to have all the different units fitting in their, in their, in their places on the floor.
1: <laughs> so the developers, uh, they have to buy the software?
0: Yes, yeah. So it, um, it comes as a licensed product uh, for any builder to use in their development. Um, so, for example, the Sailfish said that it costs between fifteen uh, and twenty thousand to launch a site using this technology. If you're building a low-rise development, so that's homes and I think townhouses, um, or it's around ten thousand to fifteen thousand if you're uh, trying to create a site for like a high-rise condominium.
1: It's a lot of money, isn't it?
0: It is, yes. But I mean, considering all the time that you're saving and all the confusion that you're saving, like this basically turns what could be what like an hour. Long discussion with a salesperson in person uh, into like a four minute um, discussion, really.
1: <laughs> so, like potential buyers can actually use this software as well to purchase?
0: Yeah, so SaleFish actually improved on its own platform uh, back in 2016. Um, so, they added a home buyer live point of sale system, uh, and a couple different uh, developer uh, companies decided to test it out. Um, and it basically creates a map of the development or community that they're trying to build. Um, and so they open it up one night and uh, potential buyers can go in. They can look at the different lot sizes that are available. They can look at the different housing designs that are available. And they can kind of plan out what they want to buy uh, beforehand. And then so when this site does actually go live, let's say the next day or the next, next week or however long the developer wants to set the the thinking time, per se, um, that they can then go in, buy their home online within just a couple minutes.
1: And so people are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just buying a home online?
0: Yes. So in my presentation with this company, um, some people were fairly skeptical about this, uh, mostly baby boomers and I guess the older generation. But um, I mean, I'm of a younger generation and buying things online is not a big deal. Mind you, buying a house is a very big deal. So I don't know how comfortable I would be, but, I mean, some people definitely want to do that, right? And this also lets you uh, buy a house wherever you are. So, for example, if you're on a business trip, but um, you want to buy a house in Toronto where there's a lot of competition, you really have to be on the ball. Um, If you're on a business trip in Denver, like, what are you going to do? But this will actually allow you to log on to the website as long as you have the right link and actually buy the house without even being there in person.
1: Why haven't we seen more disruption like this in the real estate industry? It seems like they've been pretty closed uh, for many, many years.
0: Yeah, they have been. And, I mean, even the company admitted it. They said that the real estate uh, industry is very slow uh, to allow themselves to be digitally disrupted, whether that's just the conservative nature or if they're scared for their jobs, because, I mean, that is a potential uh, consequence of this technology. I mean, the company says that it's not, that um, this will actually help real estate agents be a lot more effective and more productive. And so I can definitely see it going that route. And it'll also save companies money um, because, you know, they don't actually have to open up uh, a sales uh, location. But uh, it's really up to these companies. I I don't know why they're so slow, because I think that this could help them be more effective.
1: And so my question is, is this is kind of more of a, a made in Canada solution? Would this apply down in the U.S. as well? Do they have the same type of issues?
0: Uh, yes, definitely. So, I mean, I'm not quite sure what their regulations are, but this kind of visually diverse neighborhood concept is definitely becoming a, a bigger thing in, in a lot of places. So, I mean, Sailfish would like to expand their presence in Canada. I believe in 2016, one in six Um, houses were actually sold using this technology. So I'm sure that they want to gain the majority of the market share there. And they do want to expand into the U.S. market. They do think that there is a market there for them. So, I mean, I wish them all the luck.
1: We're talking with Manny Kovacs from uh, IT World Canada and uh, all about uh, disruption in the the real estate uh, industry. I want to thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: When we come back a lot more tech to talk including app of the week stay tuned you're listening to get connected brought to you by london drugs here in the chorus radio network back after this you're back with get connected mike agarbo i've got my friends uh, in here with me this week graham williams and christina stoyanova don't forget to check out our app show every sunday at 10 a.m on cknw it's also on a number of other chorus radio stations uh similar times but check uh, the listings uh, on yours we uh talk all about the world of apps so everything from smartphones to tablets to smart tvs uh, we give you all the latest and greatest uh, to really take advantage of your devices and speaking of apps it's app of the week time with christina
2: what do we got
5: we have the selfissimo app from google
2: what selfissimo yes i think it's it's more of an italian selfissimo
5: yes that's what i was going for but mike wrecked it there
2: that's it's all right you got there's, there's some, some hand talking that has to go with it. Selfissimo. You can't see it, but it's there. So what does this thing do?
5: <laughs> He's never going to say Self
2: it. Selfies, I'm sure.
5: Yes, they are selfies. It's kind of like a photo booth. So you set up your phone and then you strike a pose and it will take a picture every time you're still. Oh, sorry, what? yes. <laughs> So you can move around just like in a photo booth. You know yeah. how you're posing and stopping and it snaps a picture. Yeah. This one will snap a picture every time you're still so it knows that you've struck that pose.
1: That golden moment.
5: That yeah. golden moment. That's right. It takes them all in black and white just like a an old school photo booth.
2: You almost need uh, like Austin Powers sort of running uh, dialogue in the back of your head like, yes, yes, give me a little bit more now. Okay, work it, work it. No. <laughs>
5: There you go. And it does actually give you little uh, encouraging uh, little encouraging bits of text when you uh, take a picture. Vogue, strike a pose. Yeah.
1: What's it called again? Selfimo? Selfissimo.
5: Selfissimo. Selfissimo.
1: And I imagine obviously it's Googles for Android. Is it an iPhone as well?
5: It's iPhone as well. This is part of their app experiments. Uh, initiative where they're just making apps and experimenting with different types of technology. So check it out and then give them some feedback.
2: How is that different from Google just making things and then stopping making them when they don't work out?
5: Um, It's kind of the same thing.
2: Okay. They just (laughs) give it a fancy marketing. Okay, cool. Got
5: it. We're just spinning it positively now, Graham.
1: (laughs) I just want to give a shout out to the Get Connected uh, team. We will be down in Las Vegas all next week. So check out our website, uh, getconnectedmedia.com. We will be posting uh, some fun stuff there. Consumer Electronics Show is one of the biggest tech trade shows in the world. 175,000 tech geeks go down there to check out more than 20,000 new products that are going to be released in 2018 or announced anyway. And we'll be covering all the latest and greatest tech trends, everything from. Some- from
2: blogs to videos. And uh, hopefully we live through the week because it's very tiring. It's a long set of days. I'm really looking forward to augmented reality this year. I think there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff. You know, there's some great stuff in VR last year, but uh, I think being able to sort of see past the glasses and include the real world in the reality experience is going to be kind of a a cool thing. Christina, what are you looking forward to?
5: I look forward to the entire show, but uh, the drones have been getting more and more interesting over the years.
1: Yeah, they actually have little drone zones, uh, these things that are kind of fenced off uh, with wire mesh so that they don't run amok <laughs> across the entire uh, floor. Uh, they're going to, I think, have on display again a, uh, a drone that can carry humans yeah. as well. Yes. There was one last year. You couldn't really fly in it. So I'm wondering if they've uh, made any progression on that to actually put a human in one of these. And would, try it you,
5: out. would you uh... – Test it out yourself?
1: No, I put Graham in first because he's smaller than <laughs> I am. I'm, you know, I've eaten too much over the years, so I think it probably wouldn't even lift off.
2: Send in the drones. Send
1: in the drone. Hey, look at that. <laughs> well, looks like that's all the time we have for the program. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Like I said, we're going to be you know, filling that all up with uh, some great tech goodness all next week from the Consumer Electronics Show. We also have our weekly contest there. I believe we're giving away a Dell uh, convertible laptop. So that is a fantastic prize in itself. Forget Connected, it's Mike, Christina, and Graham logging off. We'll see you again next week or even tomorrow on the App Show. Tune in. You've been listening to a
0: 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at com. the Radio Player Canada app,